All right. Thank you, everybody, for coming out tonight. David G., alcoholic and addict of many sorts. I'm very grateful to be here with you guys tonight and glad to see you guys, as always. As always, you know, first, I want to thank a loving God for a recovery date of August 8th of 1994. And I want to thank my friend Ashley and Dennis for uh, doing what they do here. You know, without them, this would not have been 30, 40 weeks in the making now. So I'm very grateful for, for you guys, as always. I like to start out giving credit where credit's due, and I start with God and then, then you too. And so we're on page 155 tonight. We've journeyed through this book about 30, I mean, nine weeks or something like that now, quite a few. We've looked at self and its destructiveness and how it plays tricks on us. And, you know, even in these back chapters, we see how that has done that to the other people of that day. We look at it more in the first person of how this relates to us. And what we begin to see here is really the same thing that happened with them happened to us. I was in uh, a place that I love this past weekend, West Texas, with people I love very dearly. We took a, a pretty in-depth look as best we could in three days of the first seven chapters of the book. And, uh, you know, it's just it just always amazes me the recovery that is here that, that is sometimes not practiced in the fellowship. And we hear all of these other things and with well intentions, don't get me wrong, with well intentions. But I think our message has gotten so watered down that it's, um, that it's, it's killing people. So over these 39 weeks, we've tried not to do that. We've looked very in-depth at the problem. We've looked very in-depth at the solution. And tonight, I know that we're on page 155, but we've got some people that hasn't been here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to back up to page 154. So page 154, if you would, we're going to take a look at um, that first full paragraph where it says bitterly discouraged. Now, we're talking about Bill Wilson. Let me just give you a little background here. We're talking about Bill Wilson. You know, he'd made his venture to Akron, Ohio. You know, his uh, business did not come off successful. He's in a bad place. And now the old threadbare idea that a drink would make everything better or whatever it is we suffer from comes to mind. He's going to find himself in the Mayflower Hotel. and. Um, this is where God really not only changed his life, but the, the lives of so many others through him. So we're going to look at 154, first full paragraph, where it says, Bitterly discouraged, he found himself in a strange place. Has anybody other than Bill and myself ever done something like that right there? Bitterly discouraged, found yourself in a strange place. You probably shouldn't be. Um, discredited and almost broke, still physically weak and sober but a few months. He saw that his predicament was in danger. Anytime I see those two words in the big book, he saw. And especially if it's something as it described there, that shows me a vision. You know, that's talking about a vision. You know, a dream can be interpreted, but a vision must come from a power greater than self to be able to be restored to sanity. So we're going to see how his sanity was restored here. He saw that his predicament was dangerous. He wanted so much to talk with someone to whom. One dismal afternoon, he paced the hotel lobby, wondering how his bill was to be paid. At the end of the room stood a glass-covered directory of local churches. Down the lobby, a door opened into an attractive bar. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about Bill and I know about me, and that's something that's going to start pulling my attention that way. But for the grace of God here, you know, something happens different than self was bringing to him at this particular moment. 
He could see the gay crowd inside. In there, he would find companionship and release. Unless he took some drinks, he might not have a courage to scrape up some acquaintance and have a lonely weekend. Of course, he couldn't drink, but why not sit, hopefully, at a table with a bottle of ginger ale before him? How many times have my mind told me, we're just going to go over there to check things out. We just want to go visit this guy and see how he's doing. Hell, I know how he's doing. He's doing the same way he was when I left there last time. You know, Nothing's changed over there, and I know that. But my mind will draw me closer to that insanity the same way it's doing Bill here. Now, look how self is dragged him back, almost like a dead corpse. You ever shoot something and just drag it away or watch a wolf kill something? This is kind of what self does with us, and that's what it's doing to Bill right here. It's pulling him away. So. After all, had he not been sober six months, perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. Now, everything he learned from Dr. Silkworth about the physical allergies, everything he learned through Abby Thatcher about Dr. Carl Young and the mental mind, all of this is just kind of pushed out of the way for a second. But this is what's so great about the power that I believe in today. I've been in these spots several times, not only with drinking and drugs, but with lust and all that stuff. I've been here many times. and. Look what it says, fear drifting. Now, if you remember back in his story, he sobered up on fear. And uh, that, that was one of the times that he sobered up. And um, the first time was on self-knowledge. If you hold your place right there and flick back to page seven for just a second, I want to cross-reference because this is what I do quite a bit. And I want to drop down to the second full paragraph. And let's look at the last two sentences. For three or four months, he says, the goose hung high. In other words, he was doing pretty good. Went to town regularly, even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. So the first time he, he sobered up was on self-knowledge. And in this lineage, we like to say, we're not really so much concerned with self-knowledge, but we're very concerned about knowledge itself. Now, if you look on page eight, and let's go down to, I guess that would be the second full paragraph there. He says, trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. Fear sobered me a bit. But see, then the insidious insanity of the first drink came, and on November 11th, which was our mistress day of 34, he was off again. So when we're back over here on page 154, we see that he's faced with this situation again. Now on page 8, he didn't have the power to overcome this. He didn't. He fell into this temptation. He went on a running drunk for a long time after this. But over here, something different is going to happen. And once we've come through this process, once we've taken this work, we've done the steps as they're outlined in the book, you know, we've got through our amends and we're beginning to live and practice in 10, 11, 12. doesn't mean that temptation is not going to come around and see us once in a while. What it does mean is that I've got the power now to overcome that, and so does he. And so that's what happens right here. So here's what self tells you. Of course you can't drink, but why not sit hopelessly at a table, a bottle of ginger ale before you? You've been sober six months now. Perhaps you can handle three drinks. No more fear gripping. He was on thin ice. And again, it's that old insidious insanity, the first drink. Not the ones after it, but the ones, but that one. Because once we put that one in, the body takes over, and then the mind no longer has anything to say about it. I, I know that from my own experience many times. And, um, you know, I'd go in there just to have a couple of drinks or whatever it was I was doing at the time. You know, my mind would be telling me, man, we got to get home. They're waiting on us. No, it doesn't matter. 
the more I drank, the thirstier I get. So with a shiver, that's fear, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Music and gay chatter still floated to him from the bar. Look at how sanity comes in on top of that insanity right here. Uh, this is beautiful. I love this. But what about his responsibility, his family, and the men who would die because they did not know how to get well? Now, I can tell you in the early days, this is what happened to me with some other afflictions as well. Even though those thoughts would come and they would go, they'd come and go, one would come and stay or whatever, the, the thought always come in, what about the people that you're going to lose out on helping? And you know what? By the grace of God, that's always overrode any thought that self is thrown at me. So he says, oh, yes, those other alcoholics. There must be many in such towns. Look at how his thinking was prior to this. Look at where his thinking is now. You tell me if he didn't receive power right here. He absolutely did. He would phone a clergyman. Here's the key words of these three. His sanity returned, and he thanked God. Now, a lot of times, when my sanity returns, I'm, and I'm glad that's over. I'm glad that passed. I'm, I'm glad that. But not always do I stop and thank God. I, I think this is a direction for us here in the book. I think any time that's returned, we need to stop and thank God, no matter what. A lot of times I ask God for help, but when help comes, and I, I forget about God. I go on doing about whatever I was doing. So it says, selecting the church at random from the directory, he stepped into the booth and left the receiver. There's no way he would have had the power to do that. Absolutely not. His call to the clergyman led him presently to a certain resident of his town. Now, we know this to be Dr. Bob from the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's who this man is. Who, though formerly able and respected, was then nearing the nadir of alcoholic despair. It's the usual situation. Home in jeopardy, wife ill, children distracted, bill and errors, and standing stand damage. He had a desperate desire to stop. But he saw no way out. This is what kills me whenever I go to meetings in the fellowship. And I see people that come in with a desperate desire, that, that gift of desperation, they're desperate for this message. And they'll hear some bullshit like, just go to 90 meetings in 90 days and don't worry about everything. Call me every day, get a job, do this, do that, do all that. You know, if I had the power to do all that, I wouldn't be in here anyway, to be honest with you. I, I just wouldn't be. Never do to say, hey, man, this is going to be a process. <laughs> we're, we're going to sit down and look at the problem, which I know you think it's drugs, lust, alcohol, whatever it is, but we're going to look at self, and we're going to look at how a power that's greater than self can restore your sanity. I mean, it's a shame how far our message has gotten away from what's originally in the book. So he had a desperate desire to stop the saw on the way out. For he had earnestly tried many avenues of hope. Now, we know Dr. Bob was a member of the Oxford group way before Bill Wilson had been. He just was. But you can't apply a spiritual solution if you don't know what the problem is. And if you think the problem is drinking, lust, drugs, overeating, undereating, whatever it may be, you can come in and get a little freedom, but at some time, this thing's going to return, and it's going to return angry and mad and all kinds of out of sorts. And I'm not going to know how to deal with that. I'm just not. I'm going to have to pick up something to overcome that. So if the problem's drinking, just don't drink. If the problem's lust, just don't act out. But every time you stop doing that, if this shows up and it's mad as hell and it's got all kinds of crazy ideas like he does here, then you've discovered the true problem. 
So that's what we're more focused on. And this lineage, as we go through this process of the work, absolutely, we've got to get sober. I'm not saying that. But that's far from where it ends. Far. That's only the beginning. So, Dr. Bob, look at this. Painfully aware of being somehow abnormal. Hell, he knew. And what most of us do, we know that. It's not like that's something that's hidden from us. We're quite sure that something's abnormal with us. We just don't know what it is. But look at what it says. The man did not fully realize what it meant to be an alcoholic. Now, if you look at the asterisk and drop to the bottom of the page of the footnote, it says this refers to Bill's first visit, visit with Dr. Bob. These men later became co-founders of AA. Bill's story opens the text of the book, and Dr. Bob heads the story section. And we talked about this last week. Dr. Bob suffered another four years from the obsession once he sobered up. Bill went through the steps and had a miraculous spiritual experience. So there's really no argument whose story should be in the front. I hear that in a lot of meetings I go to. You know, it's Bill's ego is why Bill's in the front end. No, this tells me, you know, if I'm a newcomer and I come in, do I want to read a story about a man that struggled with the obsession for four years after getting sober? Or do I want to read the story and get some hope from the man who went through the process of work and recovered it immediately? I don't know about you, but I know about me, and that's, <laughs> I'm going to be wanting that. So it said, when our friend, and we're talking about Bill here, related his experience, the man agreed, which we're talking about Dr. Bob there, that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. He knew this. This wasn't something hidden to him. A spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis of justice. So what is the price that we have to pay in order to have a spiritual experience? Even after we've sat around here in these rooms, for a long time. If you will uh, hold your place right there and take a journey back in your book with me over to page 14, we're going we're gonna to see what that price is. And it's one that uh, most of us, <laughs> you know, it's the last thing I would have thought of for sure. But anyway, first full paragraph, simple but not easy, a price had to be paid in destruction of self-centeredness. And I must turn in all things to the father of the light who provides over us all. So we're not talking, you know, only about what, when we come in here with drunkenness and alcohol on our breath or we're coming in here trying to sober up from porn or whatever it may be. We're talking also about after being here for a while, this man tried many attempts to get sober. And I guarantee he probably did for some time. But the old in, insidious insanity would always come back. Self would lead him back to the drink every single time. And he knew a spiritual experience was, was absolutely necessary. See what he says here, he says on 155, he told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. The hell of the deal is most people already know. We just don't think they do, you know, and it's no different here. He had, of course, the familiar alcoholic exception that few knew of his drinking. <laughs> we know from his story that that's not true. Why he argued? I don't think this is him doing the argument. I think this is self doing the arguing for him and through him and to him to try to convince him. Why, he argued, should he lose the remainder of his business only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolish admitting his plight to people from whom he's made his livelihood? Now, we know in reality they already know all this. Family, co-workers, everybody knows about our condition. <laughs> they just do. But there's something that convinces me that they don't, and I need to keep that hit out. 
And the more that I keep those secrets, the sicker I get. And that usually happens when I'm sober, and that leads me back to the drink and, or whatever it is over and over and over. He would do anything, he said, but that. Well, I guarantee he's going to have a change of heart on this. He's going he's to do whatever it takes, just like some of us have had to. But being intrigued, and that's what it is. When a man comes to me and sit down with me after a year of sobriety and alcoholic anonymous in 1994, when I was ready to put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger sober and had so much hell that it went on in my life. I mean, I was intrigued when this man sat down and talked to me because he talked to me in a way nobody else in alcoholic anonymous had. And so this is what's going on here. Being intrigued, however, he invited our friend, Bill Wilson, to his home. Now, the story went that he was just going to give him 15 minutes. It was Mother's Day, and, you know, he'd come in, he had brought a potted plant to his wife, and he drunk as hell. And Bill's made this phone call, and, and Bill's wanting to, you know, come over and see him. And, oh, man, they're excited. This is the guy from New York, and he's possibly got the solution to alcoholism. And so the story goes that he brought the potted plant, but whenever, you know, the, they, they called back to Bill, they said, hell, he's potted as well. You're not going to be able to come to him. It's like he passed out under the table. Any other alcoholic on here other than me ever pass out under a table or out in the alley come down where? And it's like, so anyway, you know, eventually he got sober enough to where he can invite Bill over. He didn't want to do it. He argued it. His wife said, he's coming. One way or the other, he's coming. And he said, all right, I'm going to give this guy 15 minutes. This turned into a lifetime of friendship. So we see how the hand of God is really moving through by these words. So it says, sometimes later, and just as he thought, he worked. Remember how self works? It's a system of thought. Ideas, beliefs, concepts, attitudes, prejudice, all that. Sometime later, just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, or whatever your situation may be, drugs, lust, eating, whatever, this is what usually happens. We go on a roaring bender. For him, it was a spree that ended all sprees. He saw that he would have to face his problems squarely, that God might give him mastery. There's a little bit of sanity starting to creep in to that insanity and darkness that's going on inside of his mind. Let's look what Bob did. One morning, he took the bull by the horns, and he set out to tell those he feared what his trouble had been. That takes a hell of a lot of courage. I promise you it does. But any time we do, it's almost that, that light gets a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger. And look what happens for him. He found himself surprisingly well-received. Anytime we make amends for the harms we have done, we are most definitely going to be in a different place than we thought we were going to be. And this is what happens to him. And he learned that many knew of his drinking. Hell, he's the only one that didn't think anybody knew about his drinking. Stepping into his car, he made the rounds of people he had hurt. That's a nice step. He trembled as he went about. Fear. Always fear and self is going to be with us, even in the immense process. But we're going to be, by now, we've got it. We have experienced enough power to know that we're not alone, no matter what. We just got to take the action, and that's what he did. He trembled as he went about, so this might mean room, particularly to a person in his line of business. Remember, he's a doctor. So at midnight, he came home exhausted, but very happy. He's not had a drink since. As we shall see, 
He now means a great deal to this community and the major liabilities of 30 years of hard drinking and repairs and force. Remember, he suffered a lot in four years, though. He really did. He was sober, like it said, but he suffered. The self. The life was not easy for the two friends, Bill and Bob. Plenty of difficulties presented themselves. Both saw that they must keep spiritually active. Man, that's a key word right here. I promise. If you're struggling, then, you know, one of the things that it always asks us to do is to stay spiritually active, and that's the last thing that I ever think about doing. One day, he called up the head nurse of the local hospital. They explained their need and inquired if she had a first-class alcoholic. She replied, yes, we've got a corker. He's just beating up a couple of nurses. He goes off of his head completely when drinking. Anybody relate to that? He's a grand chap when he's sober, though. He's been in here eight times in the last six months. Understand, he was once a well-known lawyer in this town, and we've just got him strapped down tight. Look at that little asterisk. Anytime we see that, we won't drop down to what's coming. Now, this refers to Bill and Dr. Bob's first visit to AA number three. This was a man by the name of Bill Dotson. And see the pioneer section. This resulted in AA's first group at Akron in 1935 with those three. There was a prospect, all right, but by the description, none too prominent. The use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. How many doctors have you ever been to that brought you a spiritual solution? So don't worry about my medicine. Don't worry about my bill. I just want you to pray and meditate. And I want to show you how to clean house through inventory and do confession and make some amends. And hell, you're going to be all right. I don't know about you. But I ain't never been to a doctor like <laughs> ever. And so, so they put him in a private room. And that's kind of unheard of because, I mean, everybody goes, you know, to a war. They're all together. But two days later, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous, this is Bill Dawson, stared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. Who are you fellows and why this private room? I've always been a ward before. Said one of the visitors, we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. I could imagine. Never have heard of the treatment of alcoholism before this time. And you got two drunks there, barely sober themselves, who's going to give me a treatment for alcoholism. That's probably not going to go over very well with me anymore than it did him. Hopelessness was written large on the man's face. Remember that gift of desperation, man. That's a beautiful thing. Not when we're in it. <laughs> but when we're on the other side looking at somebody who's in it, we can help. We can help. He said, oh, that's no use. Nothing would fix me. I'm a goner. Look at how self-talk this. See that yapping in the head through those words? Oh, you're hopeless. You're worthless. You're no good. You'll never recover. You've been here all this time and you're still miserable. Nothing's going to change. You've been through the steps already. I mean, this crap went on in my head forever. In 2019, look at all that you've done with this book. Look at the people that sponsored you, Charlie and Joe, for God's sake, all these guys. Now, this is as good as it gets. Well, I'm here to tell you today from my own experience, that's a lie. That's a lie. He says, the last three times I got drunk on the way home from here. I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't understand it. We can't understand it. And the crazy thing is, self keeps trying to understand. It's something that wants to understand something that can't be understood. 
and my mind just will not let that go. And that's not only when I'm drinking, hell, that's when I'm sober, too. For an hour, the two friends told him about their drinking experiences. Over and over, he would say, that's me, that's me, I drink like that. Remember, this man's in a hospital bed. Why is it we come into meetings and do that very thing? We'll sit there and talk about drinking experiences over and over and over and over and hardly ever get to the solution. People say, well, that's what it says in the book. No, that's not what it says in the book. What it says in the book is they're sitting with this man on a hospital bed. And I know you've seen those little pictures all around AA or if you've been around the program for very long, the, the two men and the man on the bed. Well, that's, that's what this is. And he says, you know, no, I can't understand it. The man in the bed was told of the acute poisoning from which he suffered. How many times do we tell the newcomer this? How many times do we really stress the malady of step one? Or do we even know it? We've been around here for some of us for a long, long time. Do we really know what that is? How the acute poisoning from which he suffered, how it deteriorates the body of an alcoholic and warps his mind? We've been through this book and through this process. We should absolutely know how to do that to somebody. And if we don't, it might be time to kind of enlighten your experience a little bit. There was much to talk about the mental state preceding the first drink. Now, if you remember from page 23 to 43, that's all they did, all the way across that. Over and over and over and over, the hopelessness of the mind, the hopelessness of the mind, how the mind would come back and trickle. Carl Jung himself said, you know, the spiritual experience, Ideas, attitudes, concepts, which were once the guiding force of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side, and a new set comes in. So if that new set hasn't come in, then we continue to suffer from that. See, we're not suffering from alcohol. We're using alcohol to try to drown all that out. That's not what, you know, that's not the problem. The problem is what we're trying to drown out. That's what the problem is. But this man says, yes, that's me. I drink like that. Yes, that's me, said the sick man. The very image you fellas know your stuff all right. One alcoholic relating to another, right? But I don't see what good it'll do. Does that sound like self? Does that sound like a thought? Does that sound like he's opening his mouth and what's in his head coming out of it? You fellas are somebody. I was once. They're self-pity, if I ever seen it. <laughs> you know? I used to be somebody, too, an Alcoholics Anonymous before all this happened to me. You know, no bullshit. I still am. It's just, you know, I've, I've got some things covered in it up here that I'm going to have to clean up. From what you tell me, I know more than ever that I can't stop. That's a good thing. At this, both of the visitors, Bill and Bob, burst into a laugh. Said the future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous damn little lights about that I can see. Now, remember, he just beat up a couple of nurses and he strapped down to the bed. Or he probably put a beat on a couple of them. You know, whenever a drunk is like that in a hopeless condition, you don't want to go in there laughing at him, talking like that. I know the ones that I hang around, you don't. But look at what the two friends did. They didn't let any of that deter them. They're on a mission here. The two friends spoke of their spiritual experience. Uh, we're not talking about drinking no more. We've told you all about our drinking. We ain't going to talk about drinking no more. We've told you all about our lust and our acting out, whatever it is. We ain't going to talk about that no more. Now we're going to talk to you about spiritual experience. Look what he says. Look how self keeps coming back, keeps coming back, going against spirit. And the good thing is he's got he's got a buddy with him. You know, he ain't combating him all by himself. He's got a buddy with him, too, him and Bob. 
He interrupted. I don't think it was him. I think it was self. Self interrupted. I used to be strong for the church. That's about the first thing he's come across with. But that won't fix it. I prayed God on hangover mornings where I'd never touch another drop by 9 o'clock and boiled over now. You see, I don't think that's God that we're praying to. I think that's the God of reason that we are praying to. as described in we agnostic with a capital R. Because if I'm in a sick state of mind, I haven't made any kind of conscious contact with a power greater than self. Hell, I'm praying to self. Because I don't have the power not to pray to anything else. Only I don't know this. But Bill and Bob knows this. Now. So they go away for a while. They say, yeah, let's give it a break. You know, I mean, hell, we've been on him for a while. Let's give it a break. So they come back the next day, 158 there. Found the prospect more receptive. I bet he's been thinking about it all night. What do you think? Anybody ever come talk to you about something like that and go away? Shit, it can't get out of your head. It just stays with you all the time, even if you're drinking. Look, the next sentence, he'd been thinking it over. Maybe you're right. Notice how spirit's starting to begin. Self is still there kind of battling, but spirit's starting to break through now. He said, God ought to be able to do anything. Well, he wasn't saying that well ago. He said, I prayed to God whenever I was boiled as an owl and hang over the morning, and he didn't do anything for me. <laughs> kind of how I felt, you know. But now he's got he's got a little different story. Then he added, he sure didn't do much for me whenever I was trying to fight this food after long. Now we see sanity beginning to be restored to him just a little bit. So they go away and leave him alone again. They come back the next day. On the third day, he's going to take his third step right here. He's been restored to sanity now, so he experienced that too. On the third day, the lawyer gave his life to the care and direction of his creator. That's step three. And said he was perfectly willing to do anything necessary. Now, we know today if you're willing to do anything necessary after step three, you're going to be moving into steps four through nine pretty quick. His wife came after three days. <laughs> That's kind of how it is for me. How about you guys? And uh, his wife came, scarcely daring to be hopeful, but she thought he would. She saw something different about her husband. Already he had began to have a spiritual experience. So everything we read last week, the price had been paid. Self-centeredness and self-destruction was beginning to be moved out of the way. This man had an amazing spiritual experience. We're not talking about just getting sober. We're talking about awakening from self. That's the most beautiful thing of this whole process. And I thought I'd done that so many times. Don't get me wrong. I had a lot of aha moments, and I had a lot of contact with God from time to time over the 25 years before this happened to me. There's no doubt I did. I walked as close in God in 1995 through 98 as anyone I knew. But nothing like what happened to me in 2020. Nothing. I mean, I had an experience that put me on the shore of faith in 1995 with my old shop top sponsor. And that was the most beautiful thing there. But I didn't know how to hang on. I didn't know how to live on the shore of faith. Nobody taught me about 10 or 11 prayer meditation. Nobody taught me about any of that stuff. Just go help another. That's what I was told. But you see, now, the spiritual experience is so much different than that. That afternoon, he put on his clothes and walked in the hospital a free man. Not just a sober man. He walked a free man. 
And I guarantee you, after three days, and he'd been in there eight times and struggled all of his life with alcoholism, and that day it's removed, never to come back again. You tell me the power of God didn't enter into that. Guarantee you it did. He entered a political campaign, making speeches frequently, frequenting men's gathering places of all sorts, often staying up all night. He lost the race by only an error margin. It's probably a good thing he did. It really is. Sometimes the best thing we think that we're trying to do right after one of those experiences looks like a failure. It turns out to be the best thing that could ever happen to Look at this beautiful reality of this. But he had found God. And in finding God, he found himself. Man, there's power in that thing. I mean, power in that thing. Chuck C. used to tell the story about three little fish swimming in the ocean. Big fish comes by one day and says, man, the water's great, isn't it? Swims away. One little fish looked at the other one and said, what the hell is water? The other one said, well, I don't know. They looked at the other one and said, do you know? He said, no, I don't know. So they swim away, and for the rest of their existence, they were looking for that which was living and moving and was in their being. And I think that's kind of how we are as human beings. This thing's all around me. See, I just don't see it because I'm asleep to self. When I wake up, and I know that I've found God, because in finding God, I found me. People say, oh, no, 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 that's not true. I guarantee you that's my experience. It might not be true in yours. It's definitely true in mine. And it was true in his. In finding God, he found himself. He didn't find self. <laughs> he found his true self, capital S. That was June of 35. He never drank again. How could he? Well, we don't never again. We don't ever do what we did again. He, too, has become a respected and useful member of his community. He has helped other men recover. There's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Always, always, that usually comes first. And he's a power in the church from which he was long absent. Of course he's a power in that church. So you see there were three alcoholics in that town who now felt, see how their feelings have changed now that they've had an experience? Because they feel like now they got to give it to others before hell, it's all about us. What they had found or be sunk. Now that's a pretty sobering reality, but it's very true. And they ain't talking about that he found that he got off the whiskey and he's not drinking anymore. He got off the lust and he ain't acting out. That ain't what it's talking about. He felt he had to give to others what he had found, which was that spiritual experience, that awakening from self. He would do that or do something. One of the two. There's a condition to it. There is. Remember, Bill said a price has to be paid. So after several failures to find other, a fourth turned up. And he came through an acquaintance who had heard the good news. He proved to be a devil-may-care young fellow whose parents could not make out whether he wanted to stop drinking or not. And I think this was a man by the name of Ernie G. They were deeply religious people, many shocked by the son's refusal to have anything to do with the church. And I can understand that today. I used to laugh at such a thing. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. You know what? Alcoholism, drug addiction, sexualism, food, whatever it may be, that's a very baffling thing. How could anybody understand it? 
Hell, I didn't understand it. How could anybody outside of me that didn't suffer from it understand it? The same thing there. It said he suffered horribly from his spree, but it seemed as if nothing could be done for him. That's a hopeless condition. That's step one in its entirety right there. He consented, however, to go to the hospital. A little bit of light sanity starts creeping into that insanity. Remember how I did it for all the rest of these guys? Starting to do it for him, too, here. Where he occupied the very room recently vacated by the lawyer. Remember, everybody before these two always went to the ward. Nobody got to come to a private room. Now there's two of them there. He had three visitors after a bit, and he said, the way you fellas put this spiritual stuff makes sense. He would not have said that before. Look at the bottom of 158. Hell, he had his refusal to do anything with the church and probably anything connected to it, which is God, <laughs> you know. And so now he says, the way you guys put the spiritual stuff makes sense, and that's what's so cool about this program. I've been able to do this with so many atheists, so many unbelievers, so many people that don't believe in in Christ or any of that, because that's where I was at. I don't tell anyone how they must believe. Hell, I don't even tell them if they have to believe. We're talking about, you know, reconnecting to power. That's way beyond the belief. Most of us came to believe something or another when we were little. It doesn't have anything to do with the belief. And then step two, when it says we came, hell, that's past tense. That's, that's gone. We already came to that a long time ago. What we do is connect to the power and that redirects our sanity and then we have a new experience with God and we begin to have different ideas about God. Or at least that's been my experience. Look what he says. I'm ready to do business. And man, when a guy's talking like that and he's still got a little bit of whiskey on his breath, man, I'm going after him. Quick. Like a shark in water. I'm coming. And so he says, I guess the old folks were right after all. Well, their stuff kind of creeping in again. Notice how he says, so one more we're added to the fellowship. All this time, our friend of the hotel lobby, that's Bill W., incident remained in that town. Now he's been there three months, and he's going to return back to New York. He goes home. Leaving behind his first acquaintance, the lawyer, the devil may care chat, and, of course, Dr. Bob. Now, these men had found something brand new in life, the awakening. See, they just didn't find sobriety. They found awakening. Though they knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober. The key words here, they knew. Now there's a different knowing in here. And I know that if I don't do that and if I don't continue to do what I do, people ask me all the time, David, you drive 600 miles one way to go speak or to do a big book study or to be in, yeah. Why will you not? <laughs> did you not agree in the beginning to go to any length to recover? And if you did, you're the next speaker in West Texas, wherever you live. We'll see you down there. I'm just kidding. So that motive became secondary. Notice how he said that. Look at that sentence again. They knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober. That motive became secondary. That's not primary by any means, any stretch of the imagination. Here's what it's transcended by. This is the awakening of spirit from self. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. That's what this is all about. They shared their homes. How many of us do that? Their slender resources. How many of us do that? And gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. How many of us really do that? 
They were willing by day or night to place a new man in the hospital and visit him afterwards. They grew in numbers. Of course they did. Spirits awake. It's alive. This is beautiful, beautiful. They experienced a few distressing failures. Stuff always comes back. It always does. But we got eyes on it now. We got eyes on it. But in those cases, they made an effort to bring the man's family into a spiritual way of living, thus relieving self, because look how self is identified with. Worry and suffering. That's self. That's not spirit. And by bringing the man's family into it, they relieved that. They wasn't only thinking of him, they're thinking about his family. A year and six months later, these three had succeeded with seven more. There's ten now. Seeing that much of each other, scarce an evening passed at someone's home, did not shelter a little gathering of men and women. Sound like a meeting. Happy in their release, not only from drinking, but from self, mainly from that. And constantly thinking how they might present their discovery to some newcomer. Constantly. I used to constantly think of lust or drinking or drugs or whatever the case may be. After this experience, I promise you, I constantly think of how I can help others. I just do. In addition to these casual get-togethers, it became customary to set apart one night a week for a meeting to be attended by anyone and everyone interested in getting sober. No, not only that. A spiritual way of life. Aside from the fellowship. Now, let's set the fellowship aside for just a second. And sociability, the prime object, was to provide a time and place where a new man may bring their problems. We're talking about the meeting. <laughs> so outsiders became interested. One man and his wife placed their large home at the disposal of the strangely assorted craft. This couple have since become so fascinated that they've dedicated their home to, keywords in this process, we call it the work. Many a distracted wife had visited this house to find loving and understanding companionship among women who knew their problem. Unity was a beautiful thing. To hear from the lips of their husbands what had happened to them and to be advised. We don't give advice here. Remember they told us that meeting. We don't give advice. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. If we're coming from a recovered state of mind. Yeah, we do. To be advised on how our own wayward mate might be hospitalized and approached when next he stumbled. Well, we'll kick it off right there, and then next week, and we're moving really closer to the end of this study, and it's just about over, and, uh, man, it's been a great, great almost year of being with you guys. We'll close it off right there and hopefully hear from some of you guys. So thank you for letting me share. Ashley, Dennis, thank you for your service. Have a good one. This concludes David's share on tonight's chapter, but we encourage you to keep listening as he answers questions from the audience and shares additional experience, strength, and hope. You know, on page 159, and I love this, it says in that second paragraph in the middle, though they knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober, that motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. You know, the motivation when we come into this program is around getting sober, but that is far from recovered. The second half of that, it's transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. It really speaks to what was on the next page that it said to be at a meeting attended by anyone or everyone interested in a spiritual way of life. 
that's the spiritual way of life. When I am get to the point where sobriety isn't even in the picture anymore, it really is about getting rid of the self's will, living in the spirit, the natural outpouring of that is helping others and going to work. This program, put simply, is defeat self, is connect to the power, work for God. And man, that is the way of living that I have found that is so amazing. And what I realized recently is the principles that I learn in this program isn't something that I can be educated on. It's something that happens when I'm connected to the sunlight of the spirit. It's just amazing when that spirit's flowing through. It's not me. I'm just a channel at that point. So thanks. I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful chair, and he's absolutely right. It's, it's nothing to do with the intellect. You know, it's, it's completely about spirit it keeps bringing us back to that over and over and over all the way up throughout i just want to say thank you this has been an amazing journey i know it's we have one more week left and i'm kind of like um thinking to myself at what next um you know and, and i i really liked so many things you said when you shared david and that one thing on 158 at the top of the page when he prayed to god on a hangover morning and sworn that I'd never not touch another drop of alcohol. By, but by nine, I'd been boiled as an owl. I mean, boiled as an owl, as an owl that's quite an in, impressive visual. But what you said about the praying to self, you know, and not even understanding that uh, you're praying to self, you know, that has dawned on me greatly sitting in this, this study over the last however long about how many times, you know, I think I'm communing with God or communing with spirit, and actually it's, it was self, you know, and then having that clear or that clarity that you sh- you've shown on this, David, in relation to, um, you know, this this ailment, this illness, this self, you know, and when we we have knowledge of self and we can see it for what it is, it becomes much more apparent, you know, that that um, spirit is, you know, broad, roomy, all inclusive, and is is you know is really where it's at. So that's just an observation, and also just looking at that and and having empathy for him. You know, on the hangover morning um, and saying those prayers, I've done that many times and praying to the wrong. I, I can't say wrong. There's no right or wrong, but, you know, praying to the small self. Anyway, that's enough out of me. I'm not listening to the same man this week as I was last whenever he talks now. He came through his fifth-step process, and we just remember the man that takes the first five is not the same man that takes the last seven. There's a new man that shared there just a second ago. I love you, Jake. Thanks, brother. Awesome. I have one more thing I wanted to say that just jumped out at me on 159 is they shared their homes, their slender resources, and gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. Um, And just personally, I wanted to thank you so much, David, for the last 40 weeks. Um, This has truly been a blessing for me to serve as the chair each week, Um, but you have shared your home with us and all of your time, your wisdom, your experience. So I'm just so grateful. Thank you thank you as well because you've been here every week of that but one i do believe and i've been here every week of it but one myself and dennis and everybody that's continued to come out here every single week to listen my god there used to be nobody to listen to me talk about anything hell they want me to hurry up and get out of there you know <laughs> so to come back for almost a year that's quite the you know we, we can see the hand of god moving there for sure so really 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 grateful to have done this man it's, it's been life-changing for me it really has so thanks everybody